I'm excited to share some thoughts with you that I believe are very pertinent to, to our times. And I mean times in general, everyone, but really us and things that you and I go through. I want to start with the word. I want to start with the word misalignment. The word misalignment means being out of the correct position and properly adjusted. Misaligned. We see things that are misaligned all around us. That is examples of misalignment. Some of it's kind of small, right? Like if you're hanging pictures, is that annoying anyone right now? You're hanging pictures and you know you put them in there and you measured it and you marked it on the wall and as soon as you put it up, it's just it's just not quite quite right. It's very it's very frustrating. Or when you're trying to put in the drawers, you know that pain because you know there's brackets here and brackets in the drawer and you have to get it in. But for some reason, it doesn't always easily naturally fit. And sometimes you just make it fit. You put it in there. But that's the idea of misalignment. Some ways it doesn't really matter. You can have crooked pictures and crooked drawers. But sometimes it really matters. I don't know who was not paying attention that day. But that bridge is not going to be well built. Sometimes you have cars that can get misaligned. And it can cause the tires, the suspension. It can cause great damage in and outside of that vehicle. I just saw some of our doctors smiling because your body can get misaligned, your spinal misalignment, and that can affect everything to your posture, to the way that you walk. So we see glimpses of misalignment around us. Let me ask you a question. What happens when a life is misaligned? What happens when the things that we believe and the way that we live don't line up? That's what I want to talk about. Uh, that's what I want us to think about, to chew on, to wrestle with. In fact, for the next several lessons, however long I believe it will take, I know our fall schedule is full, and so it may take through November if you'll endure with me, but I would love to walk with you through the Word of God and looking at this concept of alignment, of realigning who we are, what we believe, and how we live. And where this all really finds alignment is with a word I want you to, to relearn with me, a word I want to perhaps enhance our understanding about, and that is the word integrity. Oftentimes we define integrity as, as doing the right thing when no one is around, doing the right thing when no one is watching. And that's true, but there's more to that definition. The Latin word for integer, or integrity is the word integer, which means wholeness or completeness. There's no fracture. There's no division within it. It is aligned. And so perhaps to give a, a working definition of integrity, it might look a little bit like this. That integrity is aligning what I believe and how I live. That's really what integrity is. It's that there's no gaps. There's no inconsistency. There's no division in terms of what it is I'm saying and what it is I'm doing. I practice what I preach. Or who I am in private versus who I am in public. Or what it is I profess to believe and then how it is I actually live. It is all properly aligned. And if there were a deficiency in our times, in our culture, it's not for gas or for baby formula. I'm not really sure what's off the shelf today. It's really hard to remember what's not really around right now. But if there is something in deficit, it is integrity. I read an article this past week called Integrity and Ethics in Crisis, and it said one of the biggest challenges facing companies and employment is oversight. Remote working has become widespread, 
The practicalities of remote working has impinged on many companies' ability to undertake effective compliance monitoring, supervision, and oversight, which in turn has created opportunities for unethical and criminal behavior. In other words, 2020 allowed for a lot of people to do unethical things because we're all logging in at home. And you can do a lot of things logging in on the screen pretending to be there on clock, on time, and yet you are doing anything but what it is you should be doing. Perhaps we're getting closer to home. In fact, but a few years ago, in 2018, the number one, listen to this, the number one reason for forced CEO turnover at the world's largest 2,500 companies is an ethical behavior, a misalignment of a person's principles and the way that they live. There's an old, old story, old, old, thousands years old, about a man named Yeejus, I think I'm saying it correctly, Yeejus, who found a magic ring. And when he put that ring on, it turned him invisible. Now, what would you do? You got a magic ring, and it turned you invisible, and no one would see you. Well, in this story, Yeejus, when he turned invisible, stole all of his neighbor's goods, murdered the king, and made himself the monarch. And one person writing about this said this, Accountable to no one, this man did whatever he pleased. Therefore, integrity is the measure of what we do when no one is looking or when we feel untouchable. Now think of that. And think about the world that we have been groomed to live in. Think of it that I can project an image on social media of who I am while being something completely different behind the screen. I'm hiding behind what I project to you, what I show to you. I can pretend to be faithful, pretend to be righteous, pretend to be into all the good things. Well, actually, I'm not living that life at all. The Bible talks a lot about integrity. Psalm 10 and verse 9 says, uh, Proverbs 10 verse 9 says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. The, the, the comparison between a secure walk and a crooked walk. Or Proverbs 11 verse 3, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Do you see the similarity there of the crookedness of one who does not walk in integrity? Do you remember what James would say about the person who prays but doesn't believe what he is praying, how he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways, there is a crookedness, an uncertainty, an unlevelness to someone who is not walking aligned. What I believe, what I say, is aligned with how it is I live. And that was Jesus. They saw it. I mean, they, the, those of, of, of the Jewish elite sent their disciples along with the Herodians. They said, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. Well, how did they know he was a man of integrity? How is that defined? Well, that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. In other words, you teach the truth no matter who's around you. Your truth, your teaching, your doctrine is not swayed, is not measured by who it is that is listening or is in your audience. And in fact, that's exactly what Luke said he set out to record. In the first book of Theophilus, I have set or I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. There is a perfect harmony between the things that Jesus said and the way that he lived. 
what it is that he taught, he sat out in completion to do. But you compare that with the Pharisees. He says, you must be careful to do everything that, that they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Can we start right there? Let's, let's start there. Let's, let's taste the symptoms of what's really going on under the hood. What's so dangerous about the lack of integrity, a life that's misaligned? Well, it, it starts right here that a lack of integrity doesn't practice what they preach. I mean, they say good things and they give good advice. They might even teach the truth, but they're certainly not going to live it in their life. Romans 2 and verse 3. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things? and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Certainly not. I mean, we wouldn't tell someone that they need to read their Bible without not reading our Bibles. We wouldn't tell someone that you shouldn't use bad language and then use that bad language in a text train with some people from work. We, we wouldn't do that, and yet that's exactly what Paul says that people then and today still do. Titus 1 and verse 16 is a great example. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Do you see the misalignment? I say I believe in God on Sunday, and I'm here, and I'm singing those songs, but then Monday I'm living as if I don't even know Him. The things that I do, the things that I approve, my behavior, my attitude, my thoughts, my words, it's as if I haven't met God at all. Even John said, whoever says I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, he's a liar. The truth is not in them. You can't claim to know God if you don't have a life that's willing to back that up. And so a lack of integrity doesn't practice what they preach. A lack of integrity is concerned with the image, the image over reality, that I want you to see something about me, not necessarily see me, the real me. I'm going to project an image. I'm going to behave a certain way in public, but I'm not going to reveal I'm not going to be transparent for you to see what's deep down inside. And so Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 8, that there are people who honor God, him with his lips, but their heart is far away from me. Do you hear it? I'm going to come here and I'm going to wear my suit and my dress and I'm going to sing these songs. Boy, I appear righteous. I appear really zealous, but deep down, none of it's real. None of it's genuine. In fact, Matthew 6 began that way, didn't it? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. I do good things so only uh, others around to notice it. And then I make sure I get on Facebook and tell everyone what I did. I just want to make sure you knew that I was a good person and I did good things. Something's not right there. Something's not aligned in that life. That I'm more concerned about appearing a certain way than being a certain way. You also would see a lack of integrity as someone who is different in private than they are in public. I love the language of Psalm 101 and verse 2, which is, I will ponder the way that is blameless. That's one of the ways integrity is used as blamelessness. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart in my house. Oof, isn't that the question? When no one is around, no one, which means I'm home by myself. Who am I then? Am I just as zealous for God in the privacy of my house? as I am when I'm around other people? Am I always quoting scripture at my house like I am around other people? I'm always trying to drop Bible verses. Am I always concerned about other people and they're lost and serving and caring for other people at home by myself as I am around other people? Who am I when no one else is there? 
See, really, a lack of integrity, the absence of integrity has a lot to do with words we might use like hypocrisy or duplicity or fakeness. Whereas integrity has to do with honesty and transparency, wholeness and completeness. I heard a story this past week of a, of a boy who was at a park and he came up to a lady and he said, ma'am, are you a Christian? She said, yes, yes, I am. He said, oh, do you read your Bible every day and pray? She said, well, yes, yes, I do. He said, okay. He said, do you go to church every Sunday? She kind of got a little red in the face. She goes, yes, yes, I do. He said, great. Can you hold my quarter while I go down the slide? I love that. You kind of get the essence of integrity? <laughs> that took a few minutes to get. I wanted... All right, anyway, let's come back. Can I trust you with something of value to me? Can I lean and depend on you in a time of need? It's not about who you claim to be or what you say you are or even what you appear to be. I just want to know deep down, are you genuine? And are you true? That's integrity. I want to know you're real, that this is all real. And it's not a show. Can you see, brethren, the call for us today? And an age and a time when you can pretend through an image, a projected image, to be whatever it is you want to be. The people of God must evermore live authentic lives. This is no show. This is not a fake. We're not an audience here to be entertained. This is real. And you are here because no one forced you. You are here because you believe Jesus rose from the dead. That's the call of God. I want you to live it like you mean it. No matter who's around you. No matter what circumstance you're in, I just want you to be real. I want you to align your life with what you believe and how you live. So that takes us to Psalm 15. Psalm 15, we find the path of integrity. What a life walking this way really looks like. Psalm 15 begins in verse 1 by saying, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? What a beautiful first verse. The grand invitation, who's going to be the one that gets to dwell in the very presence of God? Verse 2, he who walks with integrity, the one who's going to live with God, the one who's going to be invited to God's presence is the one who walks with integrity. Now, how does he define integrity in verse 2? Keep going on. And works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Do you see it? He lives righteousness. He speaks the truth. He is a whole, complete, aligned person. What he says, what he believes is in harmony with one another. He is a person of integrity. Now here's what this looks like. Let's walk this off the page. Let's just look at right here. What does it mean to walk this path, this walk, this path of integrity? Well, one, it's the beginning of my speech. Integrity in the way that I speak. Verse three. It says, he does not slander with his tongue nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. You want to know the way a person thinks? You want to know what's dwelling in his mind? Just pay close attention to the things that he says and the words that he speaks. A person who publicly would say, I love you, I love you, and you're great. And yet behind the back would say evil, mean, spreading gossip and spreading rumors, displays an immense misalignment of one's character. They say publicly, I love you, but behind your back to speak evil of you. 
to, to sing songs like we did this morning, that we love one another and we love God, and yet in other circles and in other circumstances, to slander a brother, to spread things, I don't even know if it's true or not. Or to talk about another, another in, in an evil or a vile or a critical way. James would say this way, how could it be, brethren, that with our tongues we bless our Lord and Father, and with our tongues we curse people who are made in the likeness of God? From the same mouth come blessings and cursings, and my brother, these things ought not be so. Can we say that a little more emphatically? Among the people of God, it ought not be so. That we sing the praises of God, and we lift up His holy name, and with that same tongue we tear down men made in His image. There is something not aligned there. John would say it this way. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So the positive twist on this kind of looks like this. A person of integrity, if he's talking about another person, it's good things. It's right things. It's true things. And if I don't know it to be true, then I'm not going to share it. And if there's something in that person's life, that seems to be off. It's spoken with concern for that person, not intended to destroy that person. And maybe we need to learn from that old Disney movie. If I can't speak anything nice about you, then don't speak. Say nothing at all. That seems impossible for some of us today. We're always speaking. But if I can't say something nice about certain people, if I can't say something nice about elected officials, if I can't say something nice about a person who, who sees different than I do or votes different than I do or lives different than I do, then zip it. Then don't say anything at all. Because the person of integrity realizes I cannot with the same mouth bless God, praise God, and tear down someone made in the image of God. Not integrity. What I believe and how I speak are going to be in alignment. I will only speak well of you. I will only speak words that uplift you. I will never share anything that would bring any harm or disgrace or taint the reputation of you. There has to be an alignment, brethren, in what it is we believe and how it is we speak. Let's keep going on. There's integrity in my values in verse 4. It says, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but but who honors those who fears the Lord. Now, this is a person whose values are aligned with God, but catch the misalignment. What does it mean for me to love God and to claim to love God, and yet to also love and approve the things that God hates? There's something misaligned there. If I love God, hear it now, because we've just sang this and we just ate this. If I really love God, that means I'm going to love the things that God loves. Can we agree with that? If I really love God, I will love what God loves. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Do I love the world too? Do I love them the way God loves the world? Or Psalm 146, verse 8. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Do I love righteousness? And those who do righteousness, those who do righteous things, when I see it, I praise it. Man, that was a good choice. Good decision. That was great. I love righteousness. Or... Psalm 37, verse 28, for the Lord loves justice. And as someone who stands up for justice when it's done and done properly and correctly, I love things that are fair and right. 
or even from today. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, that each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. No one made you do it. No, God loves a cheerful giver, generous people, and not generous, begrudging people. I'm doing this because God's making me. No, they're really glad to do it. And I love that. Do, we have, do I love that the way God does? People who are glad to give and glad to share. I love, if I love God, I'm going to love everything that God loves. But there's the opposite of that. In your Bibles, let's go to a passage we don't go to very often. Keep your marker here in Psalm 15. Let's go over to Proverbs 6. We don't like this list very much. <clears throat> let's just get a taste, though. If I love God, I love God. I love what God loves. We can see that. I really say I love God. I'm going to love the things that he loves. But it says in Proverbs 6 and verse 16, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among his brothers. Is that all that God hates? No. No, God hates sin. You could probably start there in general. But you know, this is a good list to at least begin with. Haughty eyes. I'm looking down at you because I'm so much better than you. I know more than you. I'm smarter than you. I have done more than you. No, God hates that. God hates looking at others and looking down at others. A lying tongue. The white lie. The quick lie. The easy lie. Things just aren't true. They're not true. Hands that shed innocent blood. These precious hands made to build and to bless the care used for violence and harm out of pride and evil. Verse 18, hearts that devise wicked plans. Don't think about God here, but you know, in my mind, I would make a great thief. I've imagined it. Go in and I could steal and no one would know it. I get away. I could really do a lot of damage to a person who has been bothering me. Allowing and entertaining darkness in our heart. I never act on it. I never do it. But you certainly have dwelled on it. Didn't Jesus have something to say about the heart in Matthew chapter 5? Hatred in the heart. A path to murder. Adultery in the heart. A path to cheating on one's spouse. Verse 18, feet that run to evil. There's no self-control. If I want it, I do it. I go and pursue it. It's as if there's nothing stopping me from a life I want to live. No, no devotion to God and to his law. Verse 19, a false witness who utters lies. I'm sharing this about another person. Do you know it to be true? No, but you, you know that person. You know how they are. Do you? Do you? Do you know this absolutely to be true? Do you have evidence? Do you have witnesses? Well, no. And brethren, maybe we need to hang out a little longer at the end of verse 19. One who spreads strife among brothers, who like to draw lines, who like to cause division, who like to take things that are united and one and to break it apart, who like to splinter and cause factions and groups. We're going to pair together with people who think similarly and lean similarly and break. God hates those things. Do I hate those things too? And it's not just that I, I don't care for those things. God despises those things. They are evil and destructive, vain. And if I love God, 
I really love God in our psalm. I want to be where he is, and I want to dwell where he dwells. I can't say I love God, but approve the things that he hates. To pursue the things that Christ came to die for. There's an old show, TV show, The Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And in the beginning of the show, he would draw a silhouette of himself. And then he would step into the silhouette. He was an amazing artist, and he captured it quite well. Can you appreciate something with me, brethren, that God, through his beautiful word, has sketched out and drawn himself. It's an incredible, magnificent picture of Jesus. He has given us the model. He has given us the form. And when we open this word and we look at this word with an honest life, we are stepping up, as it were, to that same shape, to that same mold. And any bits of us that stick out from the mold, that bits of pride that seem to go over the line, that double chin of selfishness that doesn't seem to fit in, those sagging arms of rebellion and, 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 and evil will, I've got to shave away. I've, I've got to work to, to compress and mold so that there is nothing in my life that doesn't fit within the mold of Jesus. Some of us have gotten too comfortable with that. I love God, but I also dabble in some evil. For those whom he foreknew, he also predetermined that we would be conformed to the image of his son. Less like me, less like the world, more like him. The path of integrity in verse 4, back in our context of Psalm 15, is one who keeps their commitments. Verse 4, the end of verse 4, says that he swears to his own hurt and he does not change. He keeps his word and he keeps his promise. And Jesus makes it clear the people of God today don't swear. We don't swear by temples. We don't swear by God's name. We don't swear, as some would say so flippantly, on the grave of a father or a mother. Jesus simply said, no, the people of God, kingdom citizens, keep their word. Their yes is yes, their no is no, which means if I say I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. If I say I'm going to help, I'm going to go help. If I say I'm going to work and I'm clocking in, then I'm going to work. In fact, Paul says the bond service, slaves, today employees and employers, they're to obey everything and everything. Those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service. I'm doing it, but no one knows. I'm only working when my boss is watching. I'm only on the clock when I'm accountable. No, no. I'm not people pleasers. I'm God pleasing. I'm Christ honoring. It's sincerity of heart. Sincerity of heart. Eye service says, I do what's right only when you're looking. God's people say, I do what's right, no matter who's looking. Because God's always looking. The question of commitment is, can I rely on you? My younger brother has this Ford Ranger white truck. The ugliest truck I've ever seen. It's dingy and dirty. It's dense all over it. Inside, to roll down the windows, you have to actually roll down. You remember those days? You have to roll down the windows. He has one of those. Roll it down. He takes it out all the time, and it is, it is hideous when he drives that thing around town. It clanks and puts around the smells that it puts out of there. But he always says one thing about his truck. It's reliable. 
when he puts the key in the ignition and he cranks it on, it always comes on. And when he grinds it into drive, it always goes. So let me ask you, are you reliable? Are you dependable? If I share with you a secret, can I depend on you that you're going to keep that and not tell anyone else? If I'm open and honest with you, I come broken today because we're a family and we lean on one another and I share with you something in privacy. Can I depend on you to keep that in privacy and confidence? If I need your help, can I depend on you to be a person of character? To always do the right thing and to set that right example? If you give your word that you're going to be there to help me, even as it says in the end of this verse, even when it costs, would you do it? Would you keep the truth? Would you keep your word? Can I rely on you? Or are you someone who says one thing with your lips, but your life is something different? There has to be an alignment with our commitments. And ultimately, there's an alignment with my passions. In the end of verse 5, it says that this person, he does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Now, God built this into the law that when they were to give and to give to those who are in need, they couldn't exact interest. Leviticus 25 says in verse 35, If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he will live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. Same thing was kind of echoed in Exodus 23 when it says, do not deny justice to the poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge and, and do not put an innocent or, or honest person to death. For I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds those who see and twist the words of the innocent. You got any language there? The people of God, their passion is not their possessions. Their passion is not their things. Their passion is not their pride. God gave things to be used, and he gave people to be loved. And this world becomes very dark when we get those confused. The passion is not my pride that when I am gone and I go on to meet the Lord, my name will be remembered and spoken and echoed in grand halls for generations to come. The passion for the people of God is people because Jesus came for people. People. He came not riding on that triumphant white stallion, but he humbled himself coming as a babe for people, for people. He did not come for institutions. He did not come to overtopple governments. He did not come to unright social injustices. He came for people, for people. And you and I, our passion is people, broken people, hurting people. Lost people, desperate people, people with baggages, people with differences. But if we are like God and aligned with God and having that life measure up to him, then our desire is going to be the same as his desire. And that is, I want to make my life about people, people. I love what Ricky said this morning, didn't you? The people of God always have hearts and homes open for people to serve to bless, to teach, to help them come in line with Jesus, King Jesus. It's our passion.
So can we walk this one off the page? What are we going to do to be a people who are realigned in the things that we believe and the way that we live? Well, I want to give you something to try this week. I'm going to try it with you. What if every day, every single day, we started that day for Ricky, that's at 2 a.m., going to be here in a few hours, and for you, whenever it is your day begins, you start with this prayer on your lips. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The way I speak, the way I think, and the way I live, let them be pleasing to you today. Align my life with you. We might find ourselves walking a better path, making some better choices, farther along on this path of integrity. If you've ever been to an airport or somewhere where you find the walkways, this sign is commonly found around escalators which says, face the direction of travel. Apparently it's dangerous to face backwards when you're on an escalator. I wouldn't advise trying it to give me some, some evidence. But think of that for a minute. Face the direction you're traveling. Can I ask you something? Where, where are you traveling today? Look at your life. You look at your choices. You look at your destination. Where, where are you traveling? Would you say that you're traveling closer to God? Closer to Jesus? Or would you say that you're on the path living and leading heaven bound? Because if today that's obviously not the choice, then we need to make some changes. And today the choice needs to be for you to change your direction. Change your choices. To change your allegiance and to give your life to King Jesus. That begins by acknowledging He as Christ and Lord, turning from your sin today. Today, you can put all those away in baptism and leave here a child of God. But for the redeemed who sit here this morning, who have come and assembled this morning, let me ask you, could it be that we are heading heaven-bound while facing in the wrong way? That maybe we're trying to live and, and to pursue God and live in heaven but we're getting our gaze off on the wrong things. Don't live misaligned, brethren. Face the direction you're heading. We're not going to be here long. We're heading home. Get your eyes on heaven. Set your priorities on heaven. Get your life realigned on Christ who is our life. And let's live that way. What I say, what I believe, and how I live are aligned on Him. And if we can help you with that or encourage you or pray for you, we'd love to do that. We'd love to help you. So if there's anything today we could do to, have, to be a blessing to you or help you in your walk with God, right here's where you need to be. Let's do it right now. Let's do it as we stand and as we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.